Daniel chapter 5 tonight. Thank you. That's worship. That's worship. Let's bring that back on Sunday, Lord willing, if we're still around, right? Daniel chapter 5. Just to quickly review, we're talking about the sovereignty of God and being encouraged by it and comforted by it, but we're also being challenged by the example of Daniel and his friends, and we're going to see the same thing tonight. But I want to go back just real quickly. We saw sovereignty declared by God in chapter 2, sovereignty defended by God in chapter 3 in the fiery furnace, sovereignty discerned by God last week when he humbled Nebuchadnezzar, and now sovereignty demonstrated tonight in Daniel chapter 5. And when we come to Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar now is no longer on the scene. He's on into eternity. And now his heir, Belshazzar, is ruling the kingdom of Babylon. And remember, this whole chapter is about the end of an empire and how if you and I are really going to, again, seize the moment and capture the present, the best way to do that is to remind ourselves that the end is coming. There is an end. Belshazzar, the king of Babylon at this time, was very foolish. He never lived his life in light of an end coming. Just like so many throughout history, they just think that things are going to go on the same way as they always do, and that somehow they're just going to live forever, even though everybody died before them and everybody will die after them, that somehow they live in some kind of alternate reality, I guess, and, and deception in thinking things are always going to be the same way, and they're not. There is an end to us and to everything, you see, on this earth. Even Jesus talked about the rich young fool who kept building bigger and bigger storage houses and said to him, you fool, tonight your soul's required of you. Tonight's your end, and you haven't lived in light of that. So with that in mind, I want us to use this chapter to be a reminder to us to always live each day in light of the end. Because the Bible tells us there's an end for us, not just the fact that we all will die, and after this, the judgment, as the book of Hebrews says, but that all of us, even as Christians, one day are going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our earthly life to Jesus, John, or Romans chapter 14. Now, we're not going to have to be judged for our sins. Jesus did that on the cross. But we are going to have to give an account of our life on this earth. What have we done stewardship-wise with our time, talent, treasure, and all of that? How did we live? How did we manage it? Do we live in light of that day, the end? So with that in mind, come with me to Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar prepared a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in front of them all. While under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar issued an order to bring in the gold and silver vessels, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had confiscated from the temple in Jerusalem, so that king and his nobles, together with his wives and his concubines, could drink from them. They had sat there in some storage unit in Babylon ever since Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem and ransacked the temple. But now his son, Belshazzar, was going to bring them back out and literally have a party with them, and he was going to desecrate them. 
So they brought, verse 3, the gold and silver vessels that had been confiscated from the temple, the house of God, in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, together with his wives and concubines, drank from them. And as they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Basically, by doing this, they were mocking God. And Galatians 6, 7 says, God will not be mocked or made a fool. Belshazzar challenged God, and guess what? God accepted the challenge. Because at that very moment, verse 5, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the royal palace wall. Opposite, notice, the lampstand. Why? Because that's where it could be seen best. Literally, God wrote it where it could be lit up so that everyone in the banquet hall could see. This also reminds us how very suddenly things can change. The king was watching the back of the hand that was writing. Then all the color drained from the king's face, and he became alarmed. He became ashen white. He became troubled and dismayed. Now remember, he was partying it up. He was the king of Babylon. He was just having a good old time. And boom, the Most High God intervened. And all of a sudden, things changed real quickly. Those who are living as if there is no God or no end had better be warned even by a chapter like this. The end can come very suddenly, and we can be out into eternity. And God wants us to live every day in light of the end that we are all going out into eternity. The joints, notice verse 6, of his hips gave way, and his knees began knocking together. This was the king. All of his strength left his body, and he couldn't even stand up. Sheer terror gripped this man's heart. You ever had that happen to you where all the strength drained from you and you couldn't even stand up? That was Belshazzar. And the king, verse 7, called out loudly to summon the astrologers, wise men, and diviners. Oh, here we go again. Going right back to those that couldn't do anything for his father and we're going to see can't do anything for him too. Who's the king going to turn to for help? Those that can't help him. It's a reminder to us, who do we go to when we need help? Obviously, God should be first, right? But there should be a few others maybe in our life, as we talked about on Sunday, that we can turn to as well. Who do we go to for help? Who would we go to to hear from God, to be our advisor, our counselor, someone to to maybe have an answer for us, somebody to pray for us, somebody to encourage us. Who would we turn to? He had no one to turn to. Because the Bible says that he proclaimed to the brain trust, the wise men of Babylon in verse 7, that anyone who could read the inscription that was written and disclose its interpretation would be clothed in purple and have a golden collar placed on his neck and be third ruler in the kingdom. He's basically offering them a rank of royalty if they can do it. So verse 7, all the king's wise men traipse in, 
but they were unable to read the writing or to make known its interpretation to the king, just like before in Nebuchadnezzar's time. Why? Because again, let me remind us all, the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. Only by the Spirit of God can we discern and have insight into spiritual matters. And so we can be thankful for sure those of us that have the Spirit of God living within us, that we have the capacity to know what others do not know. Not because we're better than them, but because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us. And we thank God that he's our teacher. He's the one that allows us to open up the Word and be able to understand it and comprehend it. He's the one that, that enables us to have light and and, and insight and vision into what's going on around us and what's coming in the future. It is the personal presence of the Holy Spirit of God that gives us that ability. These wise men did not have that. Then, verse 9, King Belshazzar was very terrified. He was alarmed because he had sort of calmed down thinking, well, maybe somebody can tell me what's going on here. So he sort of got his composure, but now he's lost it again. The Bible says he was visibly shaken. Literally, he became ashen white again. All the color drained from his face. And his nobles, they were completely dumbfounded, perplexed, confounded, at a loss. Again, thank God that when we are a child of God, we are never at a loss. No matter what we face, we can always go to God, and we can talk to him about it. And as Nicole has reminded us through worship, we always know that our God is above everything because he's the most high God. There's nothing greater than him, nothing above him. So we have that comfort. We don't have to be shaken by the things that are going on around us or even in us. God can calm us, but they were at a loss. Well, due to the noise, and this must have been a great noise because they were partying it up pretty good, right, before the handwriting came. But there must have been a great noise now. Due to the noise caused by the king, verse 10, and his nobles, the queen mother then entered the banquet room. She was still alive. And she said, oh, king, live forever. That's what you say back then, right, right, you know. Don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him a spirit of the holy gods. There's a man. There's a man. Now, first of all, you and I know that anytime we go through life, we have God, right? But God uses people. God uses people. And so in the whole kingdom of Babylon, they were looking for somebody that could help. And guess what? God had a man there, a man that he placed there as a young man, 12, 13, 14 years of age, 70 years ago. And now he's in his early 80s to mid 80s, and he's still there. And God had him placed there so that he could be a testimony and a witness to God. And he was his whole life. Very few like Daniel. God is always looking for people like Daniel to work through, to have at strategic times, at strategic places, so that people have someone to look to 
There's a man, a man of God. There's a woman, a woman of God. I love 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for someone to strengthen whose heart is devoted to him. Who? He's looking for people like Daniel. He's looking for people like Daniel today who can stand up before his own people and strengthen them and stand up before the world and say, this is a man of God. This is a woman of God. This is someone who has the most high God in their life, and they're not acting or reacting or responding like the rest. That was Daniel. There's a man. And I want you to notice, as we talked about through our study of Daniel, not only should we be strengthened and encouraged and comforted by the fact that the Most High God rules over human kingdoms, and nothing happens without him being in charge and in control, but notice now the testimony of Daniel that Daniel had with the queen mother. Many characteristics. First of all, she says in verse 11, within him is the spirit of the holy gods. Literally in the, in the original, he has the mind of God. Do you know what the New Testament says about New Testament believers? That we have the mind of God. The Bible says that because of the Holy Spirit. We can have the mind of God. Notice what else she says. In the days of your father, he proved to have insight. It literally means he had the light of God. You know what the Bible calls us? The light of the world. Jesus said, now you're the light of the world because I'm the light of the world, but now I've lit you up, so now you're the light of the world, so don't hide your light. Let it shine. We not only have the mind of God and the light of God like Daniel, then it says, she said, oh, and he has discernment. He has an insight and understanding and comprehension of things that no one else has. Why? Because he has the wisdom of God like that of the gods, verse 11. Guess what? You and I have the wisdom of God as well. Christ is the wisdom of God, and we have Christ, and we have his word, and we have the Holy Spirit. We can have the wisdom of God, too. You and I have the ability to be like Daniel, to be different, to be distinct, to be one who is set apart, who can help in any time that we are living in. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, appointed him chief of the magicians, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. Thus there was found in this man Daniel whom the king named, renamed Belshazzar an extraordinary spirit, a unique, one-of-a-kind, rare spirit. We talked about that last week, a spirit like Caleb had. And we talked about the fact that having a unique spirit doesn't mean we see things that are different from what everybody else sees them as, but we see them from a different perspective. Let me again remind you of the story of Caleb. Caleb saw the same giants in the land that the spies saw. They both saw the same giants. So it wasn't like one saw something and the other saw something else. They both saw the same giants, but the spies said, we can't go in. Caleb said, we sure can go in because we got God. Not afraid of any giants. God promised we could do it. We can do it. They saw the same thing, but those that have a unique spirit see things from a different perspective. That was Daniel. He also had knowledge, the power of being able to know things, and the skill to interpret dreams, solve riddles, and decipher naughty, literally difficult problems. He'd have been someone that you would have liked to had at your side to do a crossword puzzle 
or to put a puzzle together, you know, those big, like, couple thousand piece puzzles. I can sit at that thing all day and I can't decipher it. Daniel probably could. Now summon Daniel and he will disclose the interpretation. So verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king. Oh, don't miss this though. Notice that Daniel kept his distance from those who were mocking God. He wasn't part of the party, was he? No. He was just waiting for his moment. And that's such a great example for you and I. Listen, Daniel didn't ever feel like he had to push his way in to be an influence and be used of God. He just trusted and waited in the background for his moment, knowing that God would supply the opportunity. And boy, did God supply those opportunities. It seemed like, I mean, yes, Daniel was used every day in the background, just like you and I can be used every day in the background, but there's going to come those times where the door of opportunity just opens up, and we then have an even greater opportunity to be a greater influence for God, and Daniel always just waited for his moment. And when that door opened, he busted through it, and he seized it. Are you that Daniel who is the one who's the captive of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard about you. <laughs> how there's a spirit of the gods in you, how you have insight, discernment, extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and astrologers were brought before me to read this writing, make known its interpretation. They were unable to disclose the interpretation of the message. However, I've heard that you're able to do this. And if you're able to read this writing and make it known to me, you will wear purple and have a golden collar around your neck and be third ruler in the kingdom. Whoop-dee-doo. Notice what Daniel's reply was in verse 17. Daniel replied to the king, keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. What a tremendous need there is for followers of God who have the same conviction, commitment, and fearless courage as Daniel. He basically is saying to the most powerful man on earth at that time, keep your stuff. I don't care about your stuff. Your stuff doesn't matter to me. Your earthly prestige and rewards that you want to give to me, they mean nothing to me. Why? Because Daniel was living for the end. He was living for what really mattered, and what really mattered wasn't these earthly things that people threw at him and all this earthly stuff that isn't going to matter one day. His treasure was in heaven, and that's where he was looking to, and that's what he was living for. He was living for eternity. He wasn't living for the here and now. Keep your stuff. Oh, that we would have people in leadership today that couldn't be bribed, that couldn't be bought with money, that, that couldn't be influenced by money and rewards and all of that. Folks, it's rampant, and it's not just in our country. It's all over the world, and it's not just in politics. It's in the church. It's in every facet and corner of our society. People have gotten caught up with stuff and things and earthly prestige and earthly rewards, and one day when we stand before the Lord, it will mean absolutely nothing. Live for what really matters. Daniel does say, however, I will read the writing for the king and make known its interpretation. As for you, O king, the most high God bestowed on your father Nebuchadnezzar all these things. And what he does now, and remember, notice that verse. Nebuchadnezzar didn't come to power, and Babylon didn't become the world power 
because of them. It was because God made it happen. That's what God wanted, and God made it happen. God bestowed all of this. It came from God because the Most High God, verse 21, rules over human kingdoms, and he appoints over them whoever he wishes. He's always in control, always. So he basically recounts what we talked about last week, how Nebuchadnezzar got lifted up in pride, how God brought him low, how he became a maniac for seven years and sort of wandered around as an animal in his backyard palace back there and until he came to his senses and humbled himself before God and became a believer in Yahweh. So that's what Daniel is reminding Belshazzar of, that his own father needed to learn who really ran things. And it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, and it isn't you, Belshazzar. So notice, I'll pick it up in the middle of verse 21. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like oxen. His body became damp with the dew of the sky until he came to understand, and here it is, that the Most High God rules over human kingdoms. That is the key phrase of the entire book of Daniel. He is the highest. He is the supreme. He has absolute mastery over everything that happens on earth. But now notice verse 22. But you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, although, here's the key, although you knew all this. Don't miss that. He's saying to Belshazzar, Daniel, you can't claim ignorance. Your sin is a sin against knowledge. You knew about what happened to your father. You saw it with your own eye and yet it did nothing to affect you. you. You never changed. You were never transformed by what you saw happen to your own father. See, God expects that when we see how he's operating, even in other people's lives and what he's doing in all these different places, that it also affects us, that we're not unaffected by what we see even in others. He was. And then it says, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The same sin of pride that was in his father was in him too. And we've saw throughout this book how pride will destroy us. God will give grace to the humble. God will exalt the humble. God will help the humble. But he resists and hates the proud. He said, you brought before you the vessels from his temple, you and your nobles. You praise the gods of silver that cannot see or hear or comprehend. And notice the end of verse 23. I love this. You have not glorified the God who has in his control your very breath and all your ways. He's saying, do you realize, Belshazzar, you wouldn't even be able to take a breath unless God permitted it. That's pretty good control. By the way, let me remind all of us of a verse out of the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, just as no one can restrain the wind, there is no one who has authority over the day of his death. We don't have that authority. Only God has that authority. See? 
That's why there are some people that can survive a plane crash and not die, and other people can fall down in their house and die. Because God has the last word on who dies and when they die and all of that. That's God. And you either believe in the sovereignty of God or you don't. And when I'm talking sovereignty of God, I'm talking about everything, including every breath that we take. Every breath that we take, Daniel is saying to Belshazzar, is a gift from God that you don't even acknowledge and glorify. And he has all your ways under his sovereignty. Everything about you and who you are and what you became and who you're ruling over and all of that is all been bestowed from him. Therefore, the palm of the hand, verse 24, was sent from him, and the writing was inscribed in this way. And this is the writing, and this is what it means. Mene, mene, tekel, farsin. This is the interpretation. Mene literally means numbered, and I'm going to use my own language. Your number's up, Belshazzar. Your number has come up. Okay? Tekel means weighed and found wanting or lacking, as it says in verse 27 of the net translation. And Perez or Farson simply means one divided into two. One kingdom now, Babylon, is going to be followed by basically two kingdoms, the Medes and the Persians. Basically, Daniel's telling Belshazzar, this is the end. This is your end. And you never lived in light of it. And now it's just like the rich young ruler. It's too late. It's too late. You squandered your life. You squandered your opportunity. You squandered your possessions and your power and your influence and all of that that you could have had for God and for good. You squandered it all. You have nothing to show for your life on this earth, and now your end has come. Now, people of the world just don't make sense, right? I mean, let's face it. Sometimes we Christians don't make sense to each other. But this just boggles my mind, Belshazzar's reaction in verse 29. Then Belshazzar orders that Daniel be clothed in purple, a golden collar placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed a third ruler in his kingdom. Daniel could have cared less. He already told the, first of all, uh, your kingdom's up. What's it going to matter? It, it's almost like when people, when their value system is so perverted and twisted Obviously, it, it, it doesn't matter even out into eternity, the prospects of that. It doesn't change because their values have always been these things and they're always going to be these things as they go out into eternity. And that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. So Darius the Mede took control of the kingdom when he was about 62 years old. How quickly... How quickly the end came for the Babylonians and for Belshazzar. Think about it. Babylon was the world ruler, but just like every other nation that ever ruled the world, they came and they went. Whether you're talking about the Egyptians 
or the Assyrians or the Hittites or the Babylonians or the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, or whether you're talking about the Soviet Union in the United States and China, it doesn't matter. They all come and go. And the Bible tells us the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket to God. They are totally insignificant. They do not matter to him. What matters to him is what's eternal. And you and I, as God's children get to be part of an eternal kingdom. Not some earthly temporal kingdom that's here today and gone tomorrow. We get to be part of something that will last forever. And so that's why God says, live every day as if the end is here, because one day the end will be there for all of us. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. There's an end for every last one of us. And one day, as I said, Paul says to the Romans in Romans 14, all of us as Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our earthly life to him. Do we live every day with the end in mind? Because if we did, I think our lives would maybe look a little bit differently at times. Our priorities might be a little bit different. Our values might be a little bit different. The things we're involved in or not involved in may look a little bit different, but that was Belshazzar's problem, and that's what Daniel chapter 5 is trying to remind us of. It's basically a contrast between two people, a nobody who was a young man from Judah who was an exile, a captive all his life, never lived a free person, by the way, his whole life, and yet he had a greater handle on this life even because he was living for the life to come than those around him who had everything this world could offer, and yet they didn't have a clue because they weren't living for the end. They were just living for the here and now. Belshazzar is one way to live. Daniel is another way to live. And God is saying to us tonight, always live in the moment. Make it as if it's the absolute Best moment you can make it, because none of us have a promise of tomorrow. And Jesus could come even tonight, and I'd be okay with all of us. So maybe this will be the last Wednesday, but Lord willing, maybe we'll be able to all come back next Wednesday and talk about Daniel and the lion's den next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you've reminded us, God, of what's really important. And what's really important is you and the things that you value, the things that are priority to you. What really matters is eternity and not now. And yet, God, we will get more out of this life here and now if we live every day in light of the end as you've revealed it. Because then we'll live every moment to its fullest. And we'll squeeze out of every moment of this life everything we can for your glory, for our benefit, and for the profit of everyone around us, God. We'll make it, we'll pour ourselves out because, God, we know that that end is coming and that end is going to be glorious for us. 
Because after we give an account, the Bible says that the glory that will be revealed to us won't even be able to compare to that suffering that so often and that pain that we get caught up in down here, that 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 won't even be able to be compared to the glory forever and ever and ever. A glory that you will light up throughout eternity, God. So God, I pray tonight that instead of living like Belshazzar lived, that we'll live more like Daniel. And that we'll be strengthened and comforted and encouraged that the most high God, you God, rule in the kingdoms of men at all times. And that you even give us every breath that we breathe. God, go with us tonight. Take us home tonight. Make us strong in you each and every day so that we can be out there like Daniel, waiting for our moments when you can put us out there, God, to help others, to encourage others, to be an example to others. Because, God, I truly believe that just like Chronicles, your eyes are still running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for men and women and young people of yours that you can strengthen whose hearts are totally devoted to you. That was Daniel. May that be us as well. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here tonight. God bless. We'll see you next week.